Hope you had a Merry Christmas. My name is Dave Dorst. If I haven't met you, I am the associate pastor here. Uh, today, the Sunday after Christmas is unofficially known as Associate Sunday or Second String Sunday or to some shorter sermon Sunday. We'll see if any of those apply. Um, because the senior pastor usually takes a break. And I see at least three senior pastors looking very relaxed, <laughs> shirking their duties. But we associates, we'll, we'll carry. We got it today. Today we're going to wrap up our study of the book of Ruth. It was a one-month series for Advent and just beyond. Um, and we'll return to our study of Exodus. We had just gotten to the plagues, and uh, we don't want to do that during Christmas time. So we put that off till next year. It's going to be a good study, though. And, but in Ruth, we are near the end, and essentially, most of the action has already happened. And if you've heard the phrase, it's all over but the crying, it's kind of where we are in the book of Ruth. It's sort of, uh, but you'll see, there's still a lot to think through and uh, understand in this book, and actually we're going to see the, the great context that the book is set in. So let's take a look, if you'll open your Bibles or your sermon outline, to Ruth chapter 4, and it's really just the last uh, 10 verses, 13 through 22. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your scriptures that are perfect, inerrant, and that we learn from anew every time we open the scriptures. Guide our understanding this morning. Open our hearts and our minds and our souls to see what this text contains. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Ruth is a short story wedged in between epic stories of violence and political intrigue. We've sort of 
isolated it and just studied it by itself. But if you think of the greater context of the Old Testament, right before it, we have the book of Judges. And if it's been a while since you've read Judges, there's a lot of disturbing stuff in it, but it certainly ends on a disturbing note. A man's concubine is raped and assaulted literally to death. And so he cuts up her body into 12 pieces and sends them all over Israel, essentially asking for their help in getting revenge on the people of Benjamin where it happened. And so then there's a big war. Tens of thousands of Benjaminites are killed. All their, some of their towns are set on fire. Uh, but then the, the, the men that have come and laid waste say, oh no, now we're, we're going to be missing a tribe. Benjamin's not going to exist. And so to rectify the situation, they go and essentially steal a bunch of wives for the men, Benjamin men who are still around. And this is how God's chosen people interact with one another. This is not the pagan nations. This is how God's people acted during the time of the judges where there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then after Ruth, we're going to have the epic tales of the reigns of Saul, David, and Solomon in Samuel, kings, and beyond, and then the, all of the kings leading up to the end of the Old Testament. But here, this little book called Ruth is thrown in, and it's sort of a Jane Austen story, isn't it? It's kind of quaint. In between all of this violence and disturbing stuff that we've got, and so maybe the Lord just designed the flow of this so that you're struggling along and have you know, the, all the judges and stuff that happens and you need some rest and you need an uplifting story before moving into Saul and, and later. Uh, but maybe there are also some deeper reasons why Ruth was written. Aside from it fits very chronologically here and if, if you have been studying this without the context text, you need to remember how dark that period in Israel's history was. But so as a way of review of this book, uh, I've got, it's in your bulletin, Warren Wearsby has identified the four chapters of Ruth with four descriptive themes. Easy to remember. Tears, toil, trust, and triumph. So chapter one is... The, the main theme word there is tears, where Naomi's husband and her two sons have died, leaving three widows. You remember? Naomi, Ruth, and sister-in-law. And Naomi is feeling bitter and the tears. So then chapter 2 is toil, where Naomi and Ruth return to Naomi's homeland, Bethlehem, and Ruth begins working in the field fields gleaning wheat. And then chapter 3, trust, where Ruth approaches Boaz, who is a relative of Naomi, and also the owner of the field. She approaches him about him sheltering her under his wings, essentially saying that she's interested in marriage and, and putting herself out there in trust. And then chapter 4 is triumph, 
where all the barriers are removed so that Boaz and Ruth can marry and start a family. The book begins with funerals and ends with a wedding. Naomi moves from bitterness to blessedness, and Ruth moves from loneliness to love. What a picture of the grace of God. So as we start to look closer at our text here in chapter 4, we hear both wedding bells and a newborn's cries. And we see that the story has developed to the point where Ruth is greatly blessed. Right? Verses, just, just verse 13, God blessed Ruth through Boaz. And we've talked about Boaz as being the kinsman redeemer. The one that is related to Naomi and has redeemed Ruth and the land. So look again at, at verse 13. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Ruth has not only made a physical and geographic journey from Moab, where she is from, to Bethlehem, where her mother-in-law, Naomi, is from, but also a journey in her identity. In chapter 2, she is feeling and calls herself a foreigner. In chapter 3, she calls herself a servant. But now she is a wife, someone who belongs. She is no longer outside the community, but legally part of it. And you have to think that every widow, particularly young widows, have doubts and fears that they may never find love again. And those that did not have kids wonder if they'll be married with enough years left to conceive, to have children. Boaz has risked the scandal of this interracial marriage with this foreigner, this outsider, and and both out of a sense of duty and I think a sense of love. He has married her, sheltered her, and redeemed her. And she has been blessed now with a child. the, The narrator, the text says, the Lord gave her. For whatever reason, God did not give her a child, in her first marriage, but now she does. And her life seems full. And though the name of the book is Ruth, it had started by talking about Naomi and Naomi's family. And it's actually going to shift back and focus again on Naomi and how much she is blessed by all that's transpired. And so we see in, in the next few verses that God blessed Naomi through Obed, her redeemer. So let's read those verses again. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. Stop there. In Greek dramas, ancient plays of the Greeks, uh, 
there would very often be a literary device or a, a, a drama. The playwriter would include a chorus that would speak together and often give us commentary on the play, uh, some dramatic action that has happened. For instance, the play Agamemnon is about the king of Argos, Agamemnon, returning from the Trojan War. And the long and short of the play is that his wife now has a new lover and they conspire and end up killing Agamemnon. Sorry for the spoiler, but you're probably not going to read it. The chorus is made up of the elderly men of Argos. And they have a speech at the end of the play where they remind this murderous couple, the queen and her new lover, that Orestes is the son of Agamemnon and he may be coming for vengeance. And so the, the book of Ruth, nowhere near as violent and twisted, but it has two choruses. And I'm not saying that that's a literary device. I believe that's how it happened. In fact, the author Paul Miller talked about meeting a woman in Africa uh, in the last 20 years, and she said this. She heard the story of Ruth, and she said the same thing happened to me. That the, the women of the village came and sang and danced and celebrated what God had done in her life. And so I think it happened then. It still happens. But last week's passage ended with the village men speaking, somewhat as a chorus, um, saying essentially, "Hey, we're excited for you too." Now, go make some babies. Right? May you be blessed and very poetically, but that's the point, right? And now the last half of the last chapter will conclude the action. It gives us a chorus of the women in the village. And they're summarizing what's happened and its importance. And so we come back to Naomi. And even though she's not closely related to the baby, right? She's actually more related through Boaz. Everyone is excited for Naomi, even saying that a son has been born to her. And she becomes his nurse. So there is this amazing connection and bond for a woman who has been uh, grieved, widowed, and but it's because of her bond with Ruth, and we remember back to when Ruth committed herself to Naomi. And the, the women know this. They've found out that Ruth is, is such a great blessing to Naomi. They tell her, your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. I think that was a common expression, just meaning if you had seven sons, you had the perfect family. Ruth is better than that to Naomi. It's Ruth's faithfulness, her kindness, her loyalty, what we've been talking about throughout the study, her hesed, grace towards Naomi that has given Naomi hope and life. And God has used their relationship to bring Naomi back to life. She was empty and bitter. Now she's full and happy. I'm not even sure she was. She could have been singing the "Blessed be Your Name" when she was in the, the valley. But now she's brought back, and 
She's a little like Job. She's kind of the Job figure, robbed of everything near the beginning, but by the end, the Lord has restored it and has renewed her. The women say that Naomi has a redeemer. And when we first read it, I think it's pretty natural to assume that's talking about Boaz, right? He's been called the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer. And and so more than just for Ruth, maybe it's his extending his protection to Naomi. But it becomes clear that that's not who they're talking about, is it? They're talking about Obed, the grandson, who will redeem his grandmother, who will provide for her in so many senses. Uh, I think it's interesting that the women of the neighborhood actually name the child. Obed means servant in Hebrew. He will serve his elders, serve his parents, serve his grandmother. His life also will serve God's purposes. But you know, the ultimate message of the book of Ruth is not that it's just these two women, and it's not just the the one lucky guy, Boaz, who are blessed by this story. The greater point is that God blesses all of his people through a new redeemer. Let's look at verses 17b through 22. He, Obed, was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then we come back to the fuller genealogy. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Now, why would you end a great romance and a well-designed book with a family tree? A piece of historical footnote that people today probably don't even read. Just skip right over it. Let's get to Samuel. You come to the end of verse 17 and you sort of expect, and they all lived happily ever after. Right? That would have fit a lot better. And yet, here you have these names. Another of the great genealogies of the Old Testament. Well, actually, these final verses maybe are the most important in the whole book. It gives us the context of the story that we maybe haven't understood up until now. And they remind us that these lives have significance in a much greater story than just their own. This was included, the whole book was included in the canon of Scripture, not just because it was a sweet story and and showed us the customs of the time, but because it moves along the great, redemptive story that God was working in Israel. The book of Ruth shows that God raises the humble and uses the weak things of the world for His glory. And so Ruth, a pagan, an outsider, a childless widow, became the woman who kept David's line going. Obed becomes King David's grandfather. Right? You see that? If Ruth hadn't stuck with Naomi, there would be no David. If Boaz hadn't sheltered and redeemed Ruth, there would be no David. No offspring in the marriage, no King David. 
all of this story has not just been about an obscure foreigner and how she found her way into the Israelite community. It's about the great king of Israel. So it's obviously written after David became king, reflecting back. Maybe it was written to defend his lineage by showing that even though his great-grandmother was a foreigner, a Moabitess, that the, the marriage was lawful, and that his great-grandfather, Boaz, was a direct descendant of one of the sons of Jacob, from the tribe of Judah. And if you remember, Matthew has a longer genealogy, and actually this genealogy is exactly the same wording, well, almost the same wording as Matthew 1, 3 through 6. But you remember the difference in that genealogy, right? And where that ends. That one ends with Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So Jesus is the son of David, a descendant of the great king, which fulfills all kinds of Old Testament prophecies. Right? The king who will sit on David's throne forever. This genealogy points us so much farther forward than just King David. The women's praise for Naomi's kinsman redeemer is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And as we've just celebrated, another humble woman in that same insignificant town of Bethlehem, remember where the story takes place, would be the mother of an important king, a king of Israel, the greatest of all kings. And we think of the great wonder and rejoicing, the women making such a commotion and, uh, at the birth of Obed, how much greater for the child born a thousand years later Right? It's not just women that have come, but the angels appear to his parents, to shepherds, their stars, it's, even while it's somewhat under the radar. Those that knew, knew, found out that the Christ child was coming. What child is this? This is Christ the King. The God-man sent from his heavenly throne on a divine rescue mission to save his people from their sin. He is the great Redeemer. Now, it's two days after Christmas, and uh, I know you want to go home and play with your new toys. I know the kids do. So let's get you out of here soon. Let's talk a few points of application as we think through the book of Ruth. Number one, it's just the time to pause and remember, remind ourselves that ordinary is important. If you're like me, you need to remember that. You need to be reminded of that, that you don't have to accomplish huge things for God in order for Him to work through you and around you. I often feel like I'm doing such small things, right? Okay, I just updated the website, or I you know, got ready for one more worship service, or I did the grunt work for one of our church picnics, or something so small. 
And I think, is, it, is any of this important when there's huge spiritual warfare happening and maybe I should be doing something important? Maybe I should put on a huge festival or, or write a book or do something important. And so Ruth reminds me and encourages me that God is still working through the ordinary. Now, I'm not saying we should question people or churches that want to do big events, and if you're called to that, do it. Fantastic. But I simply want to remind us that being faithful in small ways, investing in the people and places that are around you is the most important thing you can do. Boaz, Ruth, Naomi, they were average people trying to be faithful, follow the Lord where He had put them, right? Just trying to make a living, pursuing romantic love interests, normal things. They didn't know that God would be giving them a great-grandson who would be Israel's great king. They just acted faithfully. What God would do with their faithfulness was up to Him. Number two, another point of application is outsiders are welcome. God's kingdom is open to all. No matter what people look like or act like, no matter where they're from, are we willing to embrace the roots that come to us, the outsiders, the refugees, the immigrants? And I'm not going to wade into the of angry political discourse right now on who the United States should let in and, and how many and what kind. And, but I'm talking about the church being ready to love whoever shows up, whoever comes. Ian Duguid has some good questions and challenges for us as a church. Can people like Ruth find a similar welcome in our churches, and in our home? Are they places where the last, the least, and the lost can come without feeling looked down upon? Are our churches safe places where people whose lifestyles are notorious in the community can come without being stared at or judged? Or are we good only at welcoming those who are already somewhat religious? Those who at least in some measure already speak the language of the church community and whose faces already fit. There's a serious challenge here for each of us. George Robertson is a pastor and professor, and he tells the story of a man pulling him aside after church one Sunday and asking if the church allowed former drug addicts because he was one. And George Robertson's response was, look at all these people. All these people are addicted to something. They're addicted to their clothes, their cars, their houses. They're addicted to their jobs, their children, their ego, and their sin. This church is full of addicts, and their pastor is no exception. Do not let the Sunday clothes fool you. We are all messed up. It's a good reminder to us that we think we're in. And we have a hard time letting in the outsiders. But we all were once 
strangers and aliens. Now we're citizens. Three, trust God despite your circumstances. This may be the hardest one. Any of us can find ourselves in situations similar to Ruth and Naomi where we feel abandoned or ignored by God. Our plans for life have been crushed or discarded somehow. Something hasn't come through. I don't know if it's the right job you didn't get. Don't feel like you're in the right marriage. Uh, You haven't been able to have kids accomplishing goals by a certain age. Whatever it is, we're disappointed. And we're feeling a lot more bitter than we are hopeful. That's where our faith in God's character is tested. Not that He's going to give us everything that we think we deserve. Don't read Ruth as, I'm definitely getting everything I set my heart on. No, but read it remembering that God is still in charge of the future and will make out of your life what He desires and give you what you need, working out His purposes. Did God want Ruth to be married and for Naomi to have a child in the household? Yes, both for their sakes and for His greater purposes. And so God watches over you just as much as He watches over Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And He never forgets His saving purposes, sometimes expressed through the generations, right? He may be doing something now that will not make sense for three or four generations. But he knows the future. He ordains and guides all things to pass for his glory. Trust his hand and trust his heart. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you the book of Ruth. Thank you for our study in it. Where we see people that have had a rough go in life. They were dealing with bitter loss, barrenness, being foreigners, not being in great danger in a different country. And God, thank you that we see the provision from your hand of people who love and care for them, that you place redeemers in their lives. And thank you, Lord, that it points to the great Redeemer the descendant of David who came to us when we were yet enemies, when we were dead in our sins, lost. Lord, and Jesus Christ paid the penalty for us to redeem us, to purchase us, to bring us into your family, to give us eternal life. God, we rejoice with that knowledge. And God, we thank you that for the other 
messages from Ruth. That our lives proceed. And it may feel like not much is happening, but you are working your plans through us. May we be faithful as we walk through life. Use us how you will. Help us to be open to the foreigner, to the outsider, to those that don't maybe naturally fit in our neighborhoods, in our church. And Lord, may we realize that all of life is placing our trust in you, placing our trust in your hands, that no matter what comes, we would say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you for Christmas time. Thank you for time off work, time with family, and time approaching this new year. We turn the calendar over, perhaps make our resolutions, but most of all, may we resolve to trust you greater, follow you, look to understand your ways deeper. Thank you for this church body and all who are worshiping with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God.